Hello and welcome to the 6++ Plus Show, a podcast for your wargaming and 40k needs. Hobby talk, tactics, tournament reports, lore and much more. We have it all. Please welcome your host for the evening, Tom. Good evening all. I am your host, Sweaty Bullbag, absolutely <laughs> melting in my chair. I am joined, as always, by Chris, my dear leader, and... Also, Lewis, my nemesis, but he's not too bad. I've even joined his Facebook group that he invited me to say. How are you doing, Chris? Oh, thank you. <laughs> I am very well, thank you. I'm also sweating. I've also been back at work and um, having had six weeks off, and that's work sucks. Woe is me. I know, but um, yeah, it's been uh, it's been rough. It's been rough having to get up at a normal time and you know teach little children things. It's disappointing. Yeah. I much prefer my um, life of luxury, but yeah, outside of the envy, I can absolutely empathise. It is difficult going back to work. I've never had to do it after six weeks, so that must. I've be never fun. not done it, so I've never not had summer yeah. holidays as a human being. That's but, so weird. Yeah. The dream. Literally yeah. never. I went straight from college to uni to then being a TA to teacher yeah. training to teacher. So never wow. not had summer holidays. Someone's got to do it. So uh, I'll take this one for the team. Yeah, absolutely. I don't mean the holiday. Someone's got to teach the kids. All right. (laughs) If they go hand in hand, you can have the kids and the holiday. All right. Yeah. Uh, My work's nice and quiet when the kids are off as well. So I get a half holiday. I just don't have to do much work, which is nice. Uh, So we've got Davey in the chat. Good to see you, Davey. Should be here. Disgraceful behavior. (laughs) And uh, how are you doing, Lewis? Good talk. Love to yeah, have you. Uh, and uh, is he back? How are you doing, Lewis? I'm here. Hello. Oh, good. This is the uh, the smooth experience that you all uh, you all come for. How have you been? What have you been up to? I'm very well, thank you. I'm just back from running a tournament this weekend, which we're going to talk about. So well, I'm pretty shattered, we'll but we're all right. <laughs> I don't know if we'll bother. Don't think it's relevant. He's desperate to show his trophy, so it was just... Uh, It'll wind him up if we don't talk about it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think we just skip right to the next step. Either of you boys been doing any hobby stuff apart from obviously playing in and hosting a tournament? I have yes, done you've done zero. nothing. He's got his list. He's confident with it, and that's it. Good. I have been painting Adeptus Titanicus models. I've been oh. painting Warlord Titans this week. Got two Warlord Titans done this week, which is the first time anyone could say that. <laughs> hold on, hold on. Let me just look at the calendar. It is less than a month before LGT. You're not, uh, you're not furiously prepping. Are you trying to say that you're a man who is prepared? I am prepared, mate. If you look oh. behind me, you'll see ten thousand points of Tyranids ready to go. So, yeah, but as far as I'm concerned, whatever happens to the new Tyranid book. I will be using whatever's behind me. <laughs> but where's your three non emissaries? Oh, God, just there's no chance I'm getting that done. <laughs> I just don't I understand did, how people do it. <laughs> I did playtest that last night, and uh, it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed. Was it? Yeah, oh yeah, it was great. Uh, they they all died actually. I was playing into War Dogs, um, who turns out War Dogs have a disgusting amount of firepower, but uh, it was a, a good stress test for the list. Uh, as for myself, I haven't haven't done much. Played a couple of practice games. Uh, kind of waiting to see which way the leaves fall on Thursday because we do have a balance change coming long overdue. Hopefully, uh, the whispers are that it's going to be fairly widespread. It's going to cover all of the armies, which is good. So we'll see if we uh, we have any Votan mains who can shoot more guns or something along those lines. 
content. We are here at 6++, the content kings, and we've got a veritable host of things out this week. I'm sure that's the case. Chris, can you uh, illuminate? If you mean a host of, by a host of things, if you mean zero videos, then um, you would be right there, Ed. Yeah. But never fear. I've been a busy boy the last few days, so all my basically the week before um, the, the weekend tournament was preparing my classroom and stuff, and now I'm back at work, so I've not really had time to do much. But... We, I do have stuff to release. So um, for our Patreon, one of the things we're offering to our £4 tier is um, a meta weather forecast in which Tom indulges his natural innate ability as a weather forecaster to write a beautiful narrative and tell you a pretty story of the current climate of the, um, the meta. Um, with lots of wonderful weather forecasting analogies and um, all that sort of thing. Um, and I will, I will happily admit, Tom has done a very, very good job. It's a very good two and a half minute video. Um, very enjoyable. He's nailed the tone. He did decide to film it in portrait because he's a moron and an absolute amateur. Um, but I have had words with him. Um, he has been suitably um, punished, fired. Uh, <laughs> fired. <laughs> um, but that is that will be out um, tomorrow. Okay, um, and then on top of that, Davey went to the Goonhammer um, Open this last weekend, and he's done a tournament report um, about his experience. But um, it's not just Nid's focus. It's all about kind of the, the processes and the testing and a whole variety of things there. So I think that'll be a really, um, a really interesting listen as well. So those things will be coming out this week. Obviously, Thursday is the big day of the data slate. So um, we will go. Um, we will go live for that to discuss stuff and um, and get everyone's thoughts and opinions on that and share what we're thinking about with our current armies. Um, well, I should probably talk about our affiliates, the um, composite games. Um, so. As you know, if you use the link in the description below, then you will um, get and use the code PLUS on top, which is all written in the description. You'll get an additional 5% off, um, off of already good value. And on top of that, we get a little bit of that money too. So everyone's a winner. Um, and then also I should plug our, our, our other links. So we've obviously got our Facebook page. That's where we post kind of our tournament updates, all of our releases and that sort of thing an Instagram page where when I remember we post um, work in progress Wednesdays and mean Mondays and all those sorts of things. Um, and we've got a Discord, which has got about 130, 140 people there. It's really active. It's got channels for all the different armies. Um, yeah, it's um, it's a really, really encouraging and um, positive place. So if you like talking Warhammer, getting advice, showing off your work, anything like that, then head over to the link tree and find the invite to our Discord and come and say hello, because we'd love to have you on board there. Absolutely. To sum up, if you want to talk to us and maybe have us talk back, head to Discord. Link's in the chat and also in the link tree. If you want to talk to us and definitely have us talk back, and by that I mean give us your money and us take your money, uh, that's the end of that analogy, head to patreon.com, link in the link tree, where we are now producing additional content. Fantastic. So, moving on. 
I think there was a, it's been mentioned a couple of times, a small tournament. Um, I see in chat that Darius Stingfield um, was uh, at a tournament. He says, I have to thank Lewis for hosting a great tournament. It was my first tournament and I was robbed of the wooden spoon, but I will be back and better prepared for the EA Slam 2 Electric Boogaloo. Thank you so much for, uh, for writing, Darius. What I will say, if that was your first tournament, I'm sure you you can go to much better down the line. <laughs> Whoa, steady, steady. Can I just say, Darius, if you're still in the chat listening, are you from Littleport? Because I think I saw there are a couple of people whose um, clubs were Littleport Gamers Guild or something. Now, Littleport is a small, very small town um, where I live as well. So I'm always on the lookout for more games and stuff. So Darius, if you, Darius, if you do live in Littleport, um, and you fancy some games, let me know because I'm always up for a local a local game. And if not, um, I apologise. Word of warning, he is more obnoxious in real life than he's on the screen. So uh, there we go. I've got my burns in on both of you. Uh, and now I'm going to shut up for ages because <laughs> I wasn't at this. God point. help us all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, it's, you know, I, well, I say I'm going to shut up for ages. I'm going to try and shut up for ages because I believe, Chris, you want to talk about your tournament experience. Oh, I guess so. Um, but why don't, Lewis... don't sound too excited, Chris. Come on. Uh, Lewis, why don't you tell us about the EA Slam as a whole? Yes. Yeah, so the EA Slam was my first foray into what I call a competitive event. Now, normally, for those of you who are, have been to Saffron Slam before, which is my normal normal events in the Saffron World and GT, which I host in Essex, I try and have a bit more of a, a bit more of a casual, a bit more of relaxed, um, and a bit more kind of fun experience. Uh, not that competitive 40k isn't fun; it's an absolute blast. You can have a, have a really really good time doing it, um, but I've always tried to steer away from that. So this was my first attempt um, in collaboration with Paul Bridge of Sons of War in Cambridge, who does the Peterborough Slam, um, and Aaron and Luke from um, the East Anglian Grand Tournament up in Norwich. Um, we collaborated together to come up with the East Anglian Slam, which was based, uh, based in Cambridge um, and got together 56 players. We were only a couple short of a major. We did have a few uh, a few six plus plus dropouts in the last minute, so to everybody that pushed us below major. But <laughs> the first event, like you're never going to get it massive straight away, are you? So, um, and and to to break from Saffron Slam tradition, we used proper terrain, like and by proper I mean kind of L's and stuff, which <laughs> are uh, which are good for those people that take this game more seriously than probably I do. Um, so the top sort of twenty. 20, 22 tables were done with kind of balanced fixed layouts, which are all symmetrical and all that sort of stuff you're used to if any of you've been to UKTC or any of those other kind of big events. Um, and then uh, the bottom five or six tables are using my uh, my coolest boards from the Saffron Slam for those people who, after the first couple of games, were uh, were down in the doldrums. Um, so, yeah, it was our, our first foray into a competitive event. And uh, I, I think, and, and Darius already has, has chimed in. Thank you, Darius. Much appreciated. Saying you had a really, really good time. And I think we still were able to retain some of the welcoming atmosphere and kind of inclusive atmosphere that I like to try and generate with my events, um, even despite Paul Bridges' best efforts. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I think everyone had a really, really good time. So um, and, and we managed to, even though it was slightly more competitive, 140 games of 40k played over the weekend and not a single kind of sportsmanship complaint or anything no one's raised anything with me and and actually i think that's a credit to all the players that came as well it's it's hard when it's uh, when summer has suddenly appeared and you're in a big metal 
sports hall box and it's 35 degrees and uh, tempers can get frayed but actually we, we all showed each other what, what 40k should be about which is we're playing in the right spirit of things and everyone having a really good time so no fantastic effort yeah, should probably i should probably do our traditional um tournament venue review in a completely in a completely unbiased way here um so it's quite close to us which is great um easy to find good parking so there were no issues there there's a walkable co-op and coffee shop and little bakeries and stuff all within kind of like a five minute walk so that was really positive um venue itself it was a very warm day outside so it was pretty warm on the inside as well that's just how it is but um toilets were fine really happy with that kind of venue and you could see there's ample space so every table was on its own right so you could just walk around completely and there was an additional hall as well so um that venue has got a huge amount of scope for running massive events and i would definitely recommend it yeah i think when we uh, when we measured it all out we worked out we could probably get 80 to 90 in that first hall if we pushed all tables together obviously at the moment we've got so it's small enough that you can have all the tables separate. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you get 80 or 90 in, in the first one, probably same, if not more, in the second tour, which is, I think, the same size, if not slightly bigger. So we do, if we ever wanted to get to that sort of size, have the potential for, for really, really big events here in here in East Anglia, which is really nice. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so yeah, so for me going into this event, obviously I've been playing Eldar. It was obvious this was going to be the final event before all of the nerfs and that sort of thing. So I kind of, I really was unsure about how to tackle this event. Did I just take all the cool units that I liked or did I try and take a good list? And then basically about a week or two out from the event, all of these like top players just suddenly started like adding, um, putting their name into the fray. And I was like, well, I need to try and take my best possible distance. So I kind of tweaked it and that. Um, the goal of this to quick fire tournament report is not for me to just wax lyrical about um, how I'll, I did well with Aldari because no one wants to hear that. So what I thought I would do is go down the um, down the angle of what I learned about the current armies I played into in the meta and what I learned about how maybe some lists aren't quite building for 10th currently or quite playing 10th in the way that I think that I, my experience would suggest they perhaps should have. And that's kind of how I would like to go about this report. Um, so game one I played into Custodes, um, into Tom from Sons of War in Cambridge, um, really good player, absolute delight to play, um, and Custodes obviously at the moment are those big infantry kind of heavy builds, I'm just going to run at you, I'm going to smash you in the face and I'm going to win. Um, he'd never played into Eldar before, and he kind of, this was a bit of a theme in some of these games, people were like, I'm going to play, my only chance is if I go first. Um, and it's something I'll definitely cover later. As it was, despite that, Tom did put like half his army in deep strike, um, which kind of gave me the chance, especially with first turn, to thin out some of the stuff that I could see. And I think the most important part of this game was turn two, when he has a thousand points of models to drop in over turns two and turn three. And he's like, right, the Eldari had the board, I need to drop down and deal with it all. Um, and what happened was he dropped down his 10-man blob nine inches away from the fire prism, nine inches away from the um, from the Incarn, and he's like, right, okay, here we go, at which point, obviously, the fire prism um, phantasms away because I don't want him to get make that charge and get close to my home field objective, 
And then because he's not played into Eldar before, he gets his shooting wrong. Um, just by shooting and killing other units, Ian Khan vanishes and lives to fight another day. And suddenly he's got his 10-man and his 4-man sand middle of the board, now moving four inches from uh, night spinners and stuff. Um, and the rest are dealing with the Incarn in the backfield. And um, that's kind of, I'm going to win the game on primary. So in this game, my takeaway would be that I still think Custodes build very nicely into like this full infantry build. Obviously, we have this suspicion they're probably going to take some nerfs. They're going to take some points increases. So you're going to see less of the models on the board. But I think what was clear, and we spoke about this after the game, was the deep striking, when to do it. I played into lots of people these days who kind of go, ah, oh, it's turn two, here we go. Now, what you really need to be thinking about is your opponent's screens um, and what where they put them, and do they actually have a second layer? On top of that, I suspect a lot of um, army screens at the moment are also their units that go and score their cards. So for me and my Eldar, I had one unit of War Spiders, one unit Shadow Spectres, and one unit of Rangers. And turn two, those are my screens, and they were also scoring points. By the end of that round two, they were all dead. Um, and suddenly that gives me a much more of an issue with trying to work out how to screen and put things out. Um, but it was fine because everything was on the board already. So I think my takeaway from this game is probably when you're running lists which rely a lot on deep strike, um, actually try and think over the course of these five turns and do I actually need to drop anything down or can I um, kind of thin the screens, get rid of the screens and then that means I'm going to be far more effective in later turns. But yeah, um, lovely opponent and it finished uh, 93.79. Did he make much use of rapid ingress? Um, so turn two, I um, screened out and I was very clear that you can't, you can only rapid ingress basically in your third of, in your half of the board. Right, okay. Um, and at which point he's like, I could, but there's this Wraith Knight here <laughs> that would quite like to fire a lot of shots into 10 Custody um, Guard, at which point he decided. I mean, as we all know, overwhelming with so many units is a play into Eldar, so maybe, mm -hmm. maybe that kind of thing would have worked. Um, but yeah, lovely opponent. Um, next game was into Alan, another lovely chap who was playing Eldar for the first time as well. He oh, God. <laughs> poor, um, poor boys, yeah. both of them. He was running with GNC, the cult. Um, so I don't feel too sorry for him. Um, <laughs> and I played them once before, and this was a really interesting game. And in my experience, again, GNC, the cult, are going to get hit. We don't know how hard, but they'll probably, maybe they'll still be good. Maybe playing to GNC, the cult, a really good tactic into them is thin their big blobs down to just a few models and then keep tagging them with stuff like vehicles and that so they can't return to shadows etc also by pushing out you're able to be in a position to go and turn off their blips which is obviously the way of, kind of working out he had his big drop um turn. i got first turn he had his um drop turn i kind of really pushed out you can't screen everywhere gsc so kind of just focus on certain areas and he kind of, I still believe that, I think it's really easy in 40k to try and spread all your resources across the board and deal with lots of things. And that's what he tried to do. And what ended up happening was he kind of didn't quite kill an Autark, didn't quite kill a tank, did heart kill, did like nine wounds to my Wraith Knight. And I'm there like, oh, I've still got everything and I've got the board and now you're going to die. 
and that's kind of what happened. He was pretty much tabled turn three. Um, but yeah, I think if he drops everything one side of the board, takes it all out, and then can kind of pick up and come down and do something another point, um, I think that's kind of the play. So I think there's certainly a tendency for lots of players to focus or not focus on just spread out all the attacks and this unit will deal here and this unit will deal over there and actually concentrate your forces use the terrain to shoot pick off stuff be hidden from the stuff that's still alive i think that's definitely okay so yeah that finished 140. um yeah i think it's always always easier to slightly overkill something than it is to underkill multiple things isn't it because yeah. i think if you've as you say if you've committed to one area and you've killed something really dead you, you might think oh maybe i could have put a couple of last cannons somewhere else or throw my demo charge somewhere else but ultimately the thing that was going to kill me is now gone yes exactly. so <clears throat> i don't know if that one of the um acolyte units with all the strats and the demo charges does that pick a wraith knight up if he drops it close, because they drop close and, and still no, shoot. Can't they, they're so. only two damage down to one, and you can phantasm out of the way. That's the main. Mm -hmm. That's the main issue. Those six-inch range guns and your seven-inch move. Yeah. Away. Okay, not anymore. Um, but yeah, so that finished 140. So final game of the day was into Toby, another very enthusiastic, lovely guy's first ever GT. Done lots of one day events, but this is his first time, and he was playing Dark Angels. And I played quite a lot of games into Space Marines. I've played more games into Space Marines in 10th than I did the entirety of 8th and 9th, um, uh, which is just weird. So I'm quite used to 10 Desolators by now. Um, but he had a lot of, like, just a mix of variety of infantry units and then a Repulsor Executioner and two Lancers. And he got first turn. And I'm like, oh, shit, this could actually hurt. Um, but thanks to the wonders of Phantasm, I was able to restrict the angle so that only one repulsor executioner got to shoot. Once I dealt with that, I was able to kind of just clear the midfield as it kind of came up and he just didn't really have any killing power. And I think the interesting thing about this is that Space Marines are an interesting place. A few weeks ago, I had a game into Scribo where he basically played the Dark Angels as well. I couldn't actually ever shoot it. It was just full of like low knots, like... And so it had like scout units and infiltrators with librarians attached and desolators. And actually that sort of build, I think, has some form of play, especially in teams, because it's just really hard to get to. If you're able to pair it correctly, um, it will just keep scoring the cards. And, you know, the Marines do keep scoring the cards. Their killing power isn't great unless you fully build into it and then... I think you're just struggling to play and score the cards. But I think there's definitely some play there for Marines in terms of being a teams list where you do just um, you just score well um, over the course of the game by hiding and that sort of thing. You haven't really got speed, not much fast-moving infantry, but you have got kind of a, you can't shoot me unless you're within 12 and I'm hidden behind this little ruin and that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, no, that was a really, really enjoyable game. It was a delight to play and I finished 170, even though... Like top of four, he had like two units left, but he still scored 70 points. Um, so, so before we go into day three, I just want to uh, did it at any point you play anyone who knew what they were doing into your list because you um, had never played Eldar, never played no. Eldar first GT. <laughs> No, I had not. I just want to make sure no one in chat's too impressed so far. We, uh, <laughs> <gonna keep> <laughs> um, so day four, I did play some people that were doing. Um, so I was playing to Lawrence from Dead Red Gaming. So Lawrence is a really good player. Um, he plays only Space Wolves. Um, and he had played, I think, something like 20 games of 
10th edition so far, um, and he had won every single one, apart from the times he played into Elder, mm. in which he was 0 5. Mm. Um, so his approach in this game was I'm going to go first. And I think this was a very interesting topic from the WTC is that some of these teams that were playing into like the bigger nations were like, oh, I've got nothing to lose. Yeah. So we're supposed to lose this matchup. So why don't I just put everything on the line yep. and try and go first? Because let's say I'm due to lose this game 15-5. Okay, well, if I put on the line and go second, I lose 20 nil. Oh, well, because if I go first, suddenly it could be a complete flip. And I think in team events, that's a really interesting approach, but especially in singles. Like, what's noticeable is at the moment, there seems to be a trend with some tournaments going down the win path um, mm. metric. That metric does not reward you as a player in the slightest. Like, your final position, barring winning or losing the game, your positioning is basically comes down to how did your opponents do. So winning or sorry, losing 130 because you went on the line compared to great, like, you know, sort of like grinding out a 93-81 loss, like there is no point in it. Yeah. Um, so actually, if you think I'm probably going to lose this game anyway, why not go on the line? And that's exactly what Lawrence did. Um, he had 10 Desolators, he had two units of five Devastators with Grab. He had a unit of Hellblasters, he had a Repulsor Executioner. He was quite confident that he would be able to pick up a lot of my tanks and potentially if he got everything into the Red Knight, pick it up as well. Um, and then he rolled the five. And I was like, oh, shit. It's going to happen. But it's all right because I think the, quite the third time in a row I rolled the six um, to go first. Um, I was saying to people... I played, but I'd also played about 20 games of 10 so far, and I've gone first five times. And in this event, single handedly pushed the average um, right back up <laughs> close to 50 50. So I got to go first, and this game reminded me of the days of Admech when you mm. got first turn, and you're like, mm. I can see everything, I can get everywhere with my six planes. Well, four planes, my What yeah. shall I kill first? And this was basically what happened, and I picked up about 700 points turn one. Um, and to his credit, he played really well for two turns, and then he didn't have much um, left afterwards. Um, but I still looked at that deployment zone. I think, I think, I don't know. I think you can win that game. I think he just needs to reserve a lot of stuff. I don't know. It's tricky. I'm not a space marine player, but I looked at the the, the tanks and things. I just think actually, if they came on from reserve and just punched two or three of the five prisms off the board straight away, yeah. Is there a game that, yes, the Wraith Knight's going to go around smashing stuff up, but Wraith Knight only picks up is it going to kill enough quick enough? Yeah, yeah, exactly that. Yeah, and I think, yeah, I think he kind of in his head, like, wow, this is, this is my out and this is what I'm going to go for, and I'll lose the attritional game. But I suspect we could play this game in a variety of ways, and I think there are probably some ways to do it. Because he did have a lot of firepower. Uh, he, in yeah, there's a lot of guns in that list. Yeah, like one unit of five Devastators um, <laughs> at one point. I think he rolled like eight dice on wounding vehicles on twos and rolled like five ones. Mm. <laughs> it, was just, it was like that sort of game as well. So I felt bad. But he was a delight. And last week I spoke about um, how um, it really annoys me when people turn up to the battlefield and like, well, I've lost what's the point. And he was not that in the slightest. 
like he was just kind of he was he accepted his fate, but he was like he was yeah he was a lovely opponent. So hopefully I get to play him again and have a game on more even footing. Um, so I'm undefeated as are three other people. I have the choice of the Eldari Mirror into Clement with his two Wraith Knights, or I have two Chaos Space Marine players. Dom of Mind Goblins or Michael Boyle, who um, I played before, who's doing really well at Chaos Space Marines at the moment. Um, and I, um, I lost two when I was playing Harlequins and he was playing like a mix of Nibs and Nibs Doom Pop. And um, I got Michael, so I got an opportunity for my revenge. So I've never played Chaos Space Marines before. Um, they have an insane amount of shooting. And I've been speaking to Jack Tide about it, and he was like, You just gotta hope they roll average. Because if they spike with their dice, he will just kill you. And it's like, okay, well, that's quite terrifying. Um, <laughs> and uh, I really enjoyed this game. Like, Michael, having never, considering he'd never played into Eldar before, um, he played it really well in terms of his thinking and how he. Uh, <laughs> there was this really cool moment. I think it was turned to his first turn. And I phantasmed some rangers onto the middle objective. And he was like, well, my Forge Fiend will kill that. He was like, what OC is your incarn? Was that three? He was like, ah, oh. I was like, damn. And he's like, <laughs> obviously, Chaos had this mark of Nurgle where you can't shoot them from far away. And that would have been my in. Let him kill the Rangers. Incarn appears, moves 10, gets to then punch the Forge Fiend to death and cause havoc in his backlines. And so he was really switched on. This was such a good game, just like in terms of sportsmanship. I think you'd agree, Lewis. Michael, he's kind of, he comes to lots of Saffron Slam events. Um, so obviously, I'm inclined to like anyone that comes to loads of my events, give me all their money. But he genuinely is a really lovely bloke. Like, and I know, but people say that all the time. But genuinely, he's always positive. He's always happy, even if he's losing. He's having a great time, and actually, by extension, his opponent's having a great time. And and you guys are playing on table one, going into the last game. You're playing on table one for effectively a podium spot, if not the win on the event and you could have been playing on the bottom tables having just a laugh and it was no there was no stress the atmosphere was positive there was no tension or anything like that which which you can get going into a final game where there's there's finally some stakes on the line um and obviously credit to you as well for that chris but yeah for both of you just it just seemed to be enjoying yourselves which is the most important thing is why we're all doing it isn't it yeah absolutely so it was right and um i got to go first again um, and I didn't really kill anything. Basically, what happened in four games is I rolled really well. Like, my luck was good. Like, I rolled definitely above average. And my first turn happened, and I managed to fire away some shots and just rolled ones, re-rolling into ones. I was like, oh, no, it's about to catch up to me. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this, is, this is not the time. Not the time, guys. Um, but basically what happened was I made a mistake. Turn two. Um, I forgot about the Nurgle strat, despite having constantly reminded myself of it. And I brought out my Wraith Knight. <laughs> well, brought out my Wraith Knight to kill this Forge Fiend, and then um, was like, and then I can kill this other Forge Fiend. One of them was undivided, one of them was Nurgle, and I was like, suddenly like, ah, oh, shit. I've got no way of getting to that Forge Fiend. Next turn, he's going to drop down two Forge Fiends. He's going to have the two Forge Fiends drop down and obliterate his... I don't know whether I can get my Wraith Knight to safety here. And it comes down and we start measuring out all my seven inches and I'm like, I can't get outside of these two Forge Fiends. Shit. Right, I'll get outside of the Obliterators. In which case, at one point, I move closer to the Obliterators. 
Um, at this part, I should probably mention, not once did I ever ask what obliterators do. Um, I, know <laughs> I know they've got three teaching profiles, and I know they've got five oh, I knew those things. What I did not know is that when you move closer to them and are within 12 inches, their guns go from damage four to damage six. Mm. So suddenly I'm like, okay, so these four obliterators are about to shoot into my wraith knife and be doing five damage a time. And then he's got two forge fiends with mortal wounds to shoot into. Bye bye. I'm like, ah, this is this is not good. So the obliterators, and I'm like, I'm in a very good position at this point, purely because it's that bloody mission where you get points for holding in the middle of the board and then the objectives get taken away. He's got his accursed cultist on the one which is staying there right at the end. So I'm like, right, shit, at some point I need to deal with them. So the Raven Knight could shoot at them as and when they come out and night spins are just slowing them down and chipping away. Um, but I'm like, okay, I need to get as much primary as I can. So I've got like the heroic way leaper there on the right flank, just holding, hiding behind this stupid hill thing um, and just trying to keep them a primary as much as possible. And anyway, so the obliterators open up and I think leave it on something like eight wounds. Uh, what well, no, so you got through two, yeah, so left it on eight wounds. Oh, no, okay, and now there's two forge fiends. And this forge fiend fires up and I'm left on three wounds. I'm like, oh. And then the, third, the, the final forge fiend completely whiffs, like just does nothing. And I've still got my three wounds. And then this bloody chaos sorcerer who's got some sort of hazardous thing who's oh, amazing managed to just somehow leave a tiny gap and has got in into an annoying spot. It's like, right, and then he rolls the devastating wounds. I'm like, oh shit. And then he rolls the five for three mortal wounds. I'm like, no. <laughs> but then I remembered it comes down to uh, damage by one. So my race guard, my race knight was left on one wound. That is uh, brutal. And at which point I was like, okay, I've still got a chance here. Um, my Wraith Knight can obviously no longer move, otherwise we'll just get obliterated by Overwatch. Um, and But I am... Able to... Just stood there going, nobody can see me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like this. <laughs> Hello. Um, and I also then failed Guide, which is really annoying. So I was just like, right, well, we got. I think I drew bring it down. So I was like, four trains need to die. I need to... Hurt this accursed cultist. So, at which point, the Forge Fiend that had done something like nine mortal wounds to itself through Hazardous um, or something, and it had like four wounds left, decided to tank majority of my army's shooting. And like, this needs to die because my Incarn can teleport over and kill the next one. And it just would not die. And I fight two fire prisons, I fight two night spinners, it's just not going down. Eventually, I dropped it, Incarn teleported over, and the Wraith now went shh. shh and dropped 17 mortal wounds on the accursed cultists, which was quite nice. Um, bloody god, let's just, like, <laughs> as soon as you see that six, it's like, oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> and that was without guys, like it would have been even worse. With um, and essentially at that point, I was able to kind of clear enough away, and I had a big points lead, but I'm also super aware that if I can't deal with these accursed, he's going to get a 15 at the end, and I'm going to get a zero. But as it was, um, he scored zero primary in that game, I managed to kill enough stuff. And it finished 78-43. But it was a really delightful game. So thank you, Michael, if you're listening. But my takeaway from this was that Chaos have a really good shooting profile list. But they can't score the cards. 
because when you're getting into turns like three, four, five, he's like, those are the killing times. Everything's out. I'm going to blap, blap, blap. But it just, you can't. Like, he drew cleanse, and he was like, well, I need to shoot with all my units to try and kill you. So he didn't get to cleanse. And interestingly, in that game, his Terminators did literally nothing. So if you're a Chaos Space Marine player, drop those Terminators as some fast-moving infantry in, and I think then you've got a good list. And I think maybe it's quite easy just to lean into this Brap, brap, brap. And obviously, you know, he's won, Michael's won four games and he's, you know, he's just annihilated some people off the table uh, when you're playing at the, into the top. Was it, was it a 10-man brick of Terminators? Yeah, with Abaddon. Have you considered, and hear me out, okay. that that's really good against every army that doesn't have a Wraith Knight that gets fucking plus four shots on its blast weapons before it even rolls for how many shots it's got? I don't know. It's it's wounds I've heard the first, the first time I shot my Wraith Knight in testing, I killed 10 Deathwing Terminators. Um, yeah, I know. So, yeah, I so maybe but putting it out there, he's got devastating wounds and you know the Wraith Knight weren't a problem come data slate, maybe the Chaos Terminators are a good buy? I don't know, because my issue with the list is that you've got three force things that are always shooting. Yeah. You've got the Accursed Cultists, um, and you've got the 10 Terminators, and the four obliterators. Hmm. Like, what are you doing actions with? Well, you don't need to do actions if you kill all your enemy. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not sold on. I, I, I'm not. I'm not disagreeing. Like having action stuff is probably good in there, but it, it is a little bit of a case of um, man with a hammer goes, man. This this bit of pottery is really fragile. <laughs> It's, it's difficult to see what the Terminators, what do they bring to that list that doesn't already have? It can, the Force Fiends and the Obliterators already allow it, help allow the army to reach out and touch whatever it wants to touch and do enough damage that it's not getting back up again. Well, they're, they're melee tankiness, so they can sit in the middle of the board and hold objectives against armies that can't just pick them up. As can the Accursed Cultists. Yeah, but they're more vulnerable to blast. I, don't, I, I know they're meant to be tanky, but I don't know how tanky they are against things like that. Hmm. Well, I guess because they keep coming back, don't they? That's their important thing. Well, you only if you don't kill them all. Yeah, well, I, what, I, what we saw in the other the other final game, which obviously was um, Clement versus Don Medlo, also Eldari versus Chaos uh, Space Marines. Clement got first turn, rolled two sixes with his Wraith Knight, then rolled a double six and a ten on the Mortal Wounds, which is 22 Mortal Wounds, the Accursed Cultists, and Don was like, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> just saw, you know when the light behind someone's eyes just dies <laughs> yeah that's uh yeah uh, hopefully it won't be a problem on thursday right fingers uh, crossed but then it'd be interesting like do other armies have the way to deal with it though because it you know currently is it just the red knight's actually being the good guy have we thought about that is the red knight actually the good guy here chris like, I say this with the greatest of respect, but shut the fuck up. <laughs> How dare you? How dare you come into my house and shit down my throat? I'm just saying, guys, my, I, it could be in a month's time we're like, bring the Wraith Knight back. Yeah. I, I realise this is this is a little bit uh, pot kettle. I just want you all to know, I never took any Wraith Knights to events in 10th edition. I did play Eldar, and they were still busted, but I didn't have Wraith Knights. I only had smaller models which were very good and i had more of them because chris is more expensive uh just want to get that in there before uh someone you know points out my hypocrisy 
I just want to get in that I currently have a 100% win rate into Eldar with Wrath Knights with my Tyranids. So I don't know what everyone else is worrying about. Like, this, this. <laughs> who, who have you practiced into? Oh, I wonder who it could be. It was, uh, I tried to uh, put the uh, put the leadership of 6++ on the line, but Chris didn't have it because he was he was clearly knew what was about to happen with him. Can I just put, put it out there? <laughs> I fired a Wraith Knight. Who... Multiple times, I assume. A, and a fire prism into 20 gaunts and killed like 16 of them. Mm. That was literally it. The rage that only died. Land falls apart, you don't roll a six, doesn't it, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> it's fine if you. I, I use them. Have any fake I dice. Six. Yeah. I use a fake to six. Just uh, then roll fuck all on the immortals. Well, um, moving back on to relevant things. Uh, we have Clement in the chat. Winner. Winner. The, the actual winner. The real life. The other winner. Eldari player. Um, no, there were double, four of us. The other five, one I think. that five. I've been talking about. Yeah, but where did the rest of them end up? Below top five? Don't care. Cool. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just had a quick check there. Uh, I believe Clement had uh, double the Wraith Knight, double the Gooder. Um, so, you know, I think that's that's what we need to take away from this. Eldar players should play more Wraith Knights. And I'm sure that'll hold true come Thursday. Well, any final takeaways from the event before I uh, move us swiftly on? Okay. I've got to give him the glory of his podium. Come on, Chris. Yeah, so anyway, uh, I came second, guys. Woo! I have this beautiful trophy. Podcast listeners, you can not see it. It's um, a Chaos Terminator, Chaos Terminator on a bust, which is rather really fitting nice given what you played. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up, Ed. <laughs> Get back in your box. <laughs> um, but no, it's really cool. So uh, final placings were done on strength of schedule. Um, and Clement's opponents did better than my opponents did. So um, good one, guys. But Clement did outscore me by like two battle points. So he was... uh, it's three. I was just looking. Was it three? Yeah. <laughs> um, what it actually means, with Chris not being facetious, is that Clement's opponents were better than Chris's opponents. So Clement had a harder time over the course of the weekend. Sure, let's say that. Just we we, That's we what did it hear a, a, a lot of... <laughs> My opponent had never played Eldar. My opponent was <laughs> in his first tournament. <laughs> They're still good players, you know, like... Yeah, yeah of course. Oh, um, yeah, definitely. Tom, Lawrence, they're, like, quite well-known on the scene. So, but, no. Definitely, um, I mean, Tom, Tom came to Saffron Slam a couple of weeks ago and went four and won two Baneblades. So he's definitely a very good player. My hero. Indeed. Did he just hit people with them? Like, <laughs> just throw them at them. <laughs> Oh, I did see a lot of games where he just kind of drove them forwards into the middle and was like, I've put both Beyblades on me. the middle objective. What are you going to do about it? Oh, suddenly the 10th edition rules writing all makes sense. It's like the numbers just slotted in my head. This is the reason that you're outside of the competitive pack, not allowed to sit on the middle of an objective. It's because they saw the Beyblade problem. They looked at it and was like... Those bane blades, He's no one's going to be able to They're going to be unstoppable. That's <laughs> yeah. oh, such a such a, a difficult thing to to deal with. There, lovely stuff. Well, um, we've got new tournaments coming out this week, and I think we've got the perfect cast to talk about it. We've got our three faction specialists for tournaments. I don't think we're missing anyone. Um, we've got myself. <laughs> I played over sixty-five tournament games of tournaments in ninth edition. We've got. Uh, we've got Lewis here, who has, I think he said, 10,000 points worth of Tyranids. And we've got Chris, who not only looked at the index with me for Tyranids on 10th release, but he also thought about buying and painting some of them. And in fact, did. Two zone tropes, Two zone tropes. I'm not sure if he's played any games with them, but he knows his shit. Um, so, 
who's uh, who's had a, a look at the new rules? Any, if any you just quick... let me get open the Goonhammer article, I'll have a quick read whilst you yes. guys talk. Of course. Well, Who... Do you know what I'll do first? I'll get open the Tabletop Battles app, and then we'll uh, we'll go through cool. what happened when um, the nids played into it. As somebody who likes to make their own opinions <laughs> instead of being told what to think, I will. Uh, I'll have. I'll say some things. Then, go ahead. Fucking non emissary. My God. Like, oh, what a unit. He's a machine. Machine. <laughs> this harks back to my favourite list back in Ninth uh, Edition Tyranids, which no one will miss. But I was just playing like double Malaceptor. Loads of Carnifexes. Um, it was unbelievably tanky. You layered defensive buffs so that, like, I was beating Tau lists, which were really good at the time as well, that were running like 36 plasma guns. Um, and I was just going, cool, I can outshoot you. Do you really want to stand out in the open? <laughs> you don't. Um, so it kind of harks back to that. For anyone who hasn't seen them, the, uh, the Norn Emissary, 285 points for what is almost but Walking. not quite a knight. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There is another one, but don't worry about it. You're not going to take it. Um, 285 points. It's a 16-wound model, toughness 11, with a 2-up armor save. Great so far. Then it's got a 4-up invun, and I believe it's a 4-up field of pain against mortal wounds. Didn't come up in my practice games. But uh, that is chonky. And then you know what other rule it's got? At the start of the first battle round, you pick one of two bonuses. There's one that makes you better about killing a single unit don't care i just want to stand on objectives in the middle of the board the thing you're going to pick is for each norn emissary pick a objective and while you're stood on it you get a five up feel of pain not against mortal wounds just all of the time and your oc is 15 15 quite large oh yeah 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 i i can't i'm not 100 sure because i haven't seen the data sheet i was just playing based on you know what was on like fucking warcom but i don't think the titanic which, as current, means that you can actually hide them behind terrain, which means it's you're probably going to get them onto the objective before they take serious shooting. Uh, and I did in my practice game, and it was great. The one downside I did have is I couldn't roll um, a Battleshock test for Love No Money, and I was playing against Chaos Knights, and they were making yeah. me take them. And it was, you know, the minus one aura. I was rolling three dice, and I was rolling, like, five, so I was like, great. So how <laughs> was your um, OC15, then? Because it must have been good in that game. It, it really was, apart from... Um, so I failed two tests that were meaningful over that game, and then I had to insane bravery one of them. Um, but it, it was the two that I had alive at that point both failed the test. I was like, sound, I guess. You get one of these, then. There goes my primary denial. Um, I've just had a thought, Ed. Uh, don't hurt yourself. Ed, if, if you're saying they are not... <laughs> If thanks, mate. If they're not Titanic, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> if they're not Titanic, I think that means you could put Minotaur on a side. Uh, I'm pretty sure it has a maximum wound cap of like fifteen or fourteen, something like that. Oh, does it? Uh, oh, it's got I, too I'd, many I'd have wounds, to check. Um, when I gave it a cursory skim, I believe it couldn't fit the uh, the oh, damn. Okay, so. I was going to say you could bring it in turn one on the objective if you want to put it on. Job done. So, so people are going to play it in the synaptic imperative detachment, which is um, quite good. You can make one of them minus one to hit because it's got the right keywords for that. I was testing the vanguard detachment, so the list that I was running was two maliceptors because they are a T11 bug with a lot of wounds with a four up inbun. So immediately I'm giving my opponent difficult choices as to what to shoot. Then I was running three of the non-emissaries because again, they are chonkers. They're really hard to deal with. Um, and then apart from that, I ran, I did test out the warrior squad with the, the winged 
um, Prime and then some upgrades in there. It, it was fine. I probably wouldn't do it again. Warriors have fallen from grace hard. Um, pretty disappointing to use. But then I just fitted in, you know, three by one rippers, 15 points each. What am I going to do with those? Strat Reserve. Um, it came up that there was the mission, the, the secondary objective where you do an action in each corner. I was like, oh, cool. I'm just going to go one, two, three. Boop, Neat. Boop, boop. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then I had a pyrovore sat in my backfield because I wrote the list 10 minutes before the game. I was like, oh, I've got 30 points. Let me just put something in. Um, so you've got loads of really cheap stuff in there. And you know what's really good in that list as well? Just take like five lone operatives, like two new electors, one lictor, two parasites, something like that. There's a strat that lets you just pick up two of those units, put them into reserves at the end of your opponent's fight phase. Great. You can just like really play the mission game while also playing the middle of the board, which is quite a fun interactive way to, uh, well, your opponent has to interact with you, but they can't. Uh, it's great. Really, really would recommend the the Norn if you're uh, a Tyranid player who's looking to maybe spend a little bit of cash before they go to LGT. And I don't think either of you have really looked at the uh, any of the rest of the stuff, so we'll move on there because really otherwise sad, I'm just going to be. No, I have. Yeah, yeah, no. So I I will be taking Tyranid to the LGT. Mm. Um, I am also obviously looking with an eye on the international team tournament, which I know is like February, but we've got a teams event. Uh, I'm doing a local one in October, running one, and then going to one with um, uh, some some friends in january so i've got some teams tournaments coming up as well which i think is where tyranids are going to be really really good because whatever happens with the new data slate i think you can build a tyranids list that always scores 80 points regardless of what happens meaning you're just going to be able to blunt any decent attacker lists sounds good yeah, yeah there's a lot of variety in there at the moment it's uh almost going to be interested to see how that goes um, so do you want to talk about, because you're taking NIDS to the LGT, have you uh, got your list ready? You, obviously, there's going to be a little bit of playtesting between now and then, but you, you reckon you're pretty much sorted? I think I'm there. I think I'm yeah. there. Um, uh, we joked about the game of Chris last week, but that really did help actually give me an understanding of what happens when I play into stuff that can really kill you. Um, have I got, an, is there enough waves in here to uh, to deal with it? But effectively what I am building towards is I'm building around fixed objectives. So I'm building around uh, engagement fronts and deployed telemort homers. Um, so the idea is to very quickly max those second, well, not very quickly, but almost be pretty confident of maxing those secondaries um mm. and also for three maybe four turns gumming up your opponent's primary to a point where they score an absolute minimum on primary meaning that when you do eventually die they, they you're so far ahead on points they can't catch you up regardless of how how good their last two turns are um as broadly been working so far um so it's very different to the list that you just went through ed um mm. It's lots of gargoyles, lots of hormigaunts, termagants, biovores, gene stealers, lictors, rippers, trigon, all sorts of bits and bobs. So realistically, it kind of just comes at you in waves and just fills the board with models. Um, but does it in a... It's not mindless. It's every unit that gets thrown forward, I assume, is going to die. So I need to make sure that it does get thrown forward, that it achieves either one of those secondaries or blocks up a primary for a turn. So um, so that when opponent responds and then kills that unit, they're like, yes, my primary is now free again, only for another unit to jump in the following turn. Um, and hopefully 
by doing that, you can kind of keep your opponent penned in, stop them scoring their cards, because a lot of people will take, take the uh, tactical secondaries, and if you... all over the board, they're going to really, really struggle to... Uh, and he's gone. We'll see if he comes back. But uh, Primary Denial is the name of the game for Lewis's list at the moment, by the looks of things. Going to be running a lot of small units, uh, I'm assuming. Uh, oh, he's back. Hello. Saying, Sorry. Primary, primary Denial seems to be the name of the list that you're playing, and then uh, maxing out your secondaries as much as Com possible. Combine that with max your own secondaries, deny their primaries, and then ultimately, even if you don't score that high on primary, they won't have maxed their secondaries in the same time. So... Yeah, good advice for anyone like who's looking to build a list for LGT. If you can score points and deny your, your opponent's points, that's a good place to start. That sounds facetious. Indeed. It's not. Like, that's a great way to actually start thinking about your list building. Instead yeah. of just go, I've got three non-emissaries, which is admittedly <laughs> the first thing I did when I saw that. <laughs> uh, I then went, I've got three non-emissaries and there's only three objectives in the middle. I can stand on all of them, which I don't think is the correct choice, by the way. I think if you spread your forces that thinly, as Chris was saying earlier, it might be a, a problem. But yeah, think about your choices and how they're going to actually achieve you points. Turn the points you spend on your units into points in the game. There we go. There's some fucking zen shit for you. <laughs> Lovely stuff. Anything else to round up on before we go into the listener questions? Not from me. No, lovely stuff. Think I think so. we've uh, we've covered it all nicely. Existence did say in the chat uh, the norms are not a character either, which is true. Um, quite nice for a lot of things. Uh, means your opponent can't just stack, bring it down, and assassinate and go. Well, I, I'm going to kill the things I need to kill and get loads of points for mm. them, which is always a always a joy. Yeah, I've only we... got two characters in my list as well, actually, just the Broodlord and the Swarmlord. Uh, yeah, so makes it difficult to max those I... sort of ones against me. I was running many characters um, when I was writing my, my list. Uh, although, actually, that's probably a lie. I think the um, the Lictor variants are probably characters. I'll double-check that at some Death point. Death Leaper is a character, but I don't think the Neuro Lictors or the Normal Lictors are. Excellent. Yeah, I was assuming the Neuro Lictors They're lone were. operatives, but they're yeah. not characters. Uh, if anyone knows in chat, whack it in. Uh, if the Parasite of Mortrex is a character. I know it used to be. I'm not sure if it still is. But uh, yeah, so we've got a couple. I of... think people might be uh, sleeping on the Swarmlord a bit as well. Actually, that's probably one thing I would say. People seem points. He's so he much. So here's here's the thing. He is good. Here's the other thing. They can't balance the monsters in the Tyranid Index slash Codex, and I don't understand why. But you've got a Harrispex, which is coming in at I believe 120 points in the Codex. Yeah. Um, what would you rather have, the Swarmlord or two Harrispexes? Well, the Harrispexes don't do anything. That's the problem. It's oh, nice yeah, to have do. two monsters. But they do it so slowly because they've only got like eight or nine inch move and to turn them takes half their move. Oh, you, de you deploy them on the line. And then you <laughs> well, okay, them yeah. put, put them out in the open. And you go, <laughs> go first. <laughs> no, no, no. You, it's, it's just um, just threat saturation. Like I think you wouldn't be playing them in a list where you only have a couple of monsters. But, yeah. Um, you know, if I'm, if I'm looking to overwhelm my opponent with loads of... Uh, Big bugs. Harrispex is pretty much first on the list because yeah, I guess if, you, if you're doing it, if you're doing an exclusively big bug list, but yeah. I think I think the swarm which is the only place you... to play uh, Tyranids, as we all know. <laughs> well, we shall find out. Yeah. <laughs> if I go what... one and four, then I will agree with you. <laughs> what I will say is I have a bit of a bias against the Swarm Lord because last edition uh, I played quite a few games into Davy, who loved the Swarm Lord, yeah. and what I found is because I played lists that had oppressive amounts of pain. 
to uh, to bring to bear gunwise or in other phases. His swarm lord kind of sat at the back and didn't do much. And I can see that being the way that he's probably going to get played in 10th edition. That is how I play him at the moment, yeah. And that's so many points for a buffing character. It's... The I don't know. Are so good. <laughs> yeah, but... I don't know. I, I'd probably rather just have 250 more points of stuff, personally. Well, um, I think... So, so with the list that I play, mm. it's very vulnerable to Overwatch. Mm. So I need to immediately make Overwatch 2CP. That's fair enough. Because otherwise you just do it every single turn, and then I'm losing stuff on my turn as well as in opponent's turn. So when I was yeah. playing Chris and others, I'd have to make a calculation of how many units I can throw forwards to score those secondaries and gum up primary. And yeah. obviously they start running out. By turn four, you don't have that much stuff left to throw forwards. So if if they overwatch once and then it's like, right, it's two CP now, you then force your opponent to take a really difficult decision. Are they going to spend all of their CP? And then to add that, giving giving you the extra CP as well, I think it's a massive swing in CP, which I think is, is you kind of you just want to leave them alive. The only <laughs> thing I'd say about the overwatch discussion is if we're assuming in the data slate that Eldar are going to get hit, they're the only real offender of Overwatch as far as I've Well, found. if you're shooting into 10 Gargoyles, most stuff will do a lot of damage, even if they've just got a couple of Flamers in a Space Marine unit or something like yeah, that. It, yeah, it will make fair. a mess of a Gargoyle unit. Although you only need one Gargoyle left alive to do Deploy Celebot yeah. Homers, but um, it is something that you do have to be conscious of. Yeah, I guess that's just an issue when you, you put T3 units into your army. Ooh. Anything less than T T eleven is not going in my list, motherfucker. <laughs> Big bugs for life. All right, so we're going to move on to the listener questions. We've only got three in the chat. So if you have any burning desires, anything that you want to know, make it Warhammer related, or don't. I'm not your boss. Um, put it in chat. Um, if it's if it's funny, not Warhammer related, put it in the OnlyFans. Chris will respond. We, to that we do later. have a link tree. Yeah. Uh, if, <laughs> if it is not Warhammer related, but it's funny, I might I might read it. Um, Dance for me, monkey, dance. So, Ultimate Funk says, top three pieces of Games Workshop scenery of all time, and why are they all Skullvane Mance? Um, I'm going to, before anyone else gets in, I'm just going to say uh, none of the Games Workshop terrain is good. It's all dog shit. <laughs> uh, what? It, it, the Sky Shield landing pad is my favourite terrain piece of all time, especially it, when you make it obscuring. Nope. That is... Uh, <laughs> that is I have a burning hatred in my heart for that. Because I remember in 8th edition when people would put three repulses on top of it. Uh, anyone else remember that? That was a time. It gave them a four-up invun. Great. Cool. Thanks for that. Um, if I have to give a serious answer, I do like the Fortress of Redemption. Um, mm -hmm. Just because I remember original Apocalypse games back in like fifth edition or whatever it was when that came out um that was that was pretty cool um the two of you here who are a bit less beardy might have differing opinions and actually like terrain so uh i'll pass it over to you <laughs> no i do genuinely i think that the sky should land the pad is amazing um I, all of the mechanica stuff actually to be fair the kill team mechanica c bits just looks amazing you do have to tweak the rules slightly to make it actually do something in a game, which I found in Saffron Slams. That I give all those Mechanicus pieces line of sight blocking, so they they perform a function. But um, aesthetically, they look really really cool. So any of those, you've got the um, the stack thing and the and the big thing that's got the platform on it and stuff like that. It gives you lots of different height, and I think boards that have got lots of height and, and different sized pieces 
I think, evoke a aesthetic, which I think is really, really cool. You know what? What I will say, actually, is you if you're talking about changing the rules of how they're being used, you could just put a lot of their terrain on Perspex now and use it as the like actual Games Workshop layoff stuff. And at that point, I don't mind it because it's, you know, actually playing with rules. Any uh, any thoughts on terrain, Chris? You got any bits of... I mean, like? I don't really care about their terrain much. From like 8th edition, it's just like, oh, okay, look at all this terrain, there's all these holes in. Great. Cool. Shot. Brilliant. Yeah. And then um, kind of the only events I kind of usually go to, barring the ones from uh, Lewis, are... Um, are UKTC, which obviously are not uh, kind of very set and specific. So I think visually, like Lee, when I used to play with Lee like three, four years ago, we had the fortress, which was quite cool. Mm. I do, I do remember that. Um, and but I, I think I bought the first kill team box, maybe, and it had like these gothic ruins and stuff. Yeah. And they were like they were beautiful, um, but they just not conducive to playing with a set of rules at the time. Um, yeah. yeah i basically all of my events i have a qr code next to each table and i basically start the event by saying ignore all of the core rules about terrain because they're shit scan the qr code and that'll tell you what your boards do because otherwise you're in for a shit time <laughs> i like my terrain um you know f to form over function i like four walls that block line of sight with one spray Definitely. color on it and a bit yeah. of dry brush <laughs> I'll have none of your fancy walls and spires and windows. <laughs> um, Citadel Woods. Actually, I've changed my mind. It's the Citadel Wood with the dead trees on it. That's the one. The three yeah. dead plastic trees. I've, so I live in Nottingham, so I've played a lot of games at uh, Warhammer World, and those trees are the fucking bane of my existence. <laughs> because at, at Warhammer World, they glue the trees down. They've so glued the trees down, and they see so you just smack Fair them enough. Down. That makes sense. Moving models through the trees. Fuck me. You ever played Necron Wraiths and try to move them through the trees? Nah. It's a good job I wasn't using whips on them. I was using the claws. But yes, it's just an <laughs> unpleasant experience all around. Cool, cool, cool. So terrain, it's there. You can buy it. Don't. Um, go to any of the sellers. I know UKTC seller pack. Um, you, can I have it? a shout out? Can I do some shameless yeah, advertising? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I guess Come. so company called pumpernickel games um guy called kieran he makes some of the boards that my most like visually like amazing boards big red one and and a load of the woodland ones and the castles and things like that the work he does is incredible it's all handmade all hand painted it's got you know like when you see tabletop tactics battle reports and stuff like that when they've got gravel scattered around the bottoms and things like that it makes it look a lot more realistic he does all of that built it all into the terrain pieces so i can just get them out and put them on the boards so if if you're interested in thematic terrain pumpernickel games is your guy he although for the next few months he's making my terrain so leave him alone um <laughs> we've got a lot to get done before the team's we've got stuff before. <laughs> um myself and lee bought um themed um age of sigma sets for yep. um, our armies and yeah he did an awesome job at a very good price as well Indeed. And what he's making me for me for the team's event, he's making LGT sets. So I'm getting a couple of LGT sets for him. So they're gonna be they're gonna be functionally the LGT stuff. They're all, all we've got all the measurements, they'll all be the exactly the same size as you weird tournament players like to play on. But they will look like Saffron Slam terrain pieces. Yeah. So um 
I'm really, really looking forward to what they're going to come out like. I think they're going to be amazing, and I think they'll hopefully add a whole new level to the event for those that like a bit more balanced terrain. Maybe, maybe you'll see me at one of your events. That sounds great. I haven't seen you at any yet, Ed. And I'm no, I was thinking earlier, and I, I wasn't going to interrupt, <laughs> but I was like, you, when you were saying about you like anyone who gives you money because they go to your events, I was like, oh, this is why you don't like me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, you, you're just a bastard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just, just to clarify for anyone in chat, this dynamic that Lewis and I have, it is real, and we do hate each other. Uh, yeah, I don't actually like him. <laughs> moving on to the next question, Zito. And uh, this is this is the best listener um, question I've I've seen so far. So um, it, I hope you see the Zito. I think you have good ideas about the game, and I think you should talk more. I want to see more of the things that you suggest. This is a great idea. He says, "Do you think a mechanic which helps to secure a charge, but with a negative, could work? So, for example, rolling a three d six for a charge and picking the two highest, but if you take the two highest you lose fights first so this wouldn't be like a stratagem i wouldn't think this would be sort of like an army rule maybe a multi-layered army rule where you could have two or three army rules but each one has like a benefit with a downside i'm a big fan of having to pay a cost for that uh well, that that was the admec thing with the doctrine is in ninth wasn't it you got a benefit and you had a negative when you chose your things that's true although the negatives were basically not there because you just play your army in a way that wouldn't um, need them yet. hey he's in chat um yeah because you'd be like oh uh planes <laughs> <laughs> i'm minus three i'm gonna minutes. table you now planes. so i'm going i will shoot you at plus one ballistic skill yeah. and minus one weapon skill all the yeah. shame or, uh, oh, I really don't want to die, so plus one to my armor save, but I lose loads of movement. Right, I'm going to teleport this blob. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to fly my plane. <laughs> I think we all miss uh, playing into 9th edition Admech. I, think I, we all... I miss playing it. Yeah, well, you're as bad a person as I am for playing 9th edition Tyranids, so... Um... Yeah. I can, you know, it's what it is. Um, C added onto there as well as an extension. Um, should it be something all armies have access to, or limited just a couple of specific units? I think it should be. I, I'd love to see that as an army rule, or maybe not an army rule, like a, a, a detachment rule. So um, I was, I was going to go further. I was going to say I think that sounds like a core, uh, core rule. You could call no. it like reckless charge or something like that. And this is assuming that melee stays as kind of as weak in terms of damage output as it is at the moment. I think if yeah. you combine it, it's one of these things where you stack it up with loads of stuff and suddenly it's amazing. Yeah. But if you combine it with the fact that melee doesn't actually do huge amounts of damage at the moment and you make it so that anyone could declare a reckless charge, you can maybe only do one per one per charge phase or something like that. And you go, actually, no, I'm going to try and make a 3d6 charge. And but when I make it in, you are going to be able to hit me first because I'm just going mad. Or if you decide to overwatch, you hit on fives or something like that. Some kind, as you say, some kind of downside. I think that leads to potential for a really unhealthy game if they give it to everyone. Um, because mm -hmm. you just go, I'm going to take a melee unit, I'm going to deep strike them, and I'm going to almost guarantee make my charge. It's not guaranteed, but it's very likely. Um, I think it, it would skew the game pretty heavily. Um in a way that I don't think would be great. Because as we all know, Games Workshop are not good at balancing layered rules. So if yeah. we have less layered rules and more specifics, um, I think it's just got good flavor as well. Like it's, you know, you could say, for example, a melee unit that um, Admech have are overcharging, uh, but, you know, the overcharging takes the power out of other systems or, or something like that. I really like it as a mechanic. I, yeah, I, I like because it. I've been playing a lot of Magic recently, um, I've been seeing things like... Um, pay this cost get an additional effect and um yeah i think i think i'd like to see more of that instead of just you have a rule the rule is good it is always good lovely lovely stuff 
All right, in chat, we did have a couple of questions there. We had Christopher Richardson. Which of the new knit attachments do those who've seen them like? The look of for memes and then for comps. So, give me uh, anyone got thoughts on this? I can I can do a, a wrap up. So I'm thinking personally that I actually still like the Invasion Swarm, or Invasion Fleet, mm. whatever it's called, the Index one. Um, I felt like either the Vanguard one or the Endless Swarm one were going to be ones that would be better for me and the army I want to play. But I don't know that any of them give me better options for regenerating models now obviously the end of swarm you can bring a unit back which is kind of does that but it's two cp to do that which is quite a lot means you definitely need the swarm lord mm. um you lose access to the five up feel no pain which you put that on as chris found out you put that on 20 term against and suddenly they start surviving a lot longer than you think they should um and you lose access to overrun which as people that were familiar with flying hive tyrants in ninth edition overrun is an incredible strategy um and to it is, be able it to is do a little different with, to how it used to be it's a little bit different now so um if you're in synapse range you've got the free movement and bits and bobs but if you're not in synapse range you're a little bit more a little bit more um, restricted on what you can do but frankly you can put it on units in synapse range really because you're going to have your broodlord with the nine inch synapse and your swarm lord's got a nine inch synapse and things like that but the ability to move after finishing a combat is is really 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 useful so i'm yet to see like, the advance and charge on the vanguard is really really nice with you with your gene slayers and things like that but the way i've built my list it's not really there to do damage damage is a, is a brucey bonus really um because from index nids there's nothing in there that does huge amounts of damage particularly reliably gene stealers kind of do but um there isn't a huge amounts in there so it's always been more about what movement tech can i get um to get me around the board faster so things like i think like overrun and, and and bringing models back and things like that i think is better but i'm willing to have my mind changed and i will try out both the vanguard and the endless swarm to see if 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 they kind of fit my list but i'm kind of set on the list idea now it's just what group of stratagems and abilities are better than um than the ones i've currently got access to lovely stuff yeah so in terms of um hold on let me just put up the list here what are the names of them Synaptic Nexus is supposed to be really nice as well. If you've got yeah, it's been it's been a little while since I've uh, I've made any unfounded hot takes. So let's uh, top to bottom. (laughs) Selling everybody. Competitive staples. This is the list. If you if you want to do well, um, listen to this list exclusively. Don't look anywhere else. Worst Crusher Stampede. I'm so sad. It's so dog shit. Uh, Just put it in the bin. Second worst, uh, probably Assimilation Swarm. It's built around four key four units with a keyword that's not enough almost all their stuff keys off it or being near it it's funny but it's not good uh after that probably the unending swarm which is weird to say because you'd assume it'd be better uh invasion fleet top three for me probably third yep. uh, maybe that changes to like second it's definitely not going to first um i'm gonna put above that one the vanguard onslaught there was a lot of sneaky tricks in there and uh, a lot of the vanguard units are actually really good and also as i you know was testing the other night you can just take most of your army not in vanguard and go hey the reason i've done this i'm going to redeploy three units because that's just a thing i can do you're going first and i've deployed three non emissaries on the line i guess i'll put them all in reserve and then i'll pay to make one of them come in on turn one uh because that's a thing i can do in this detachment and then uh, synaptic nexus is probably the most like obvious linear power and then it's got some nice battle shot tricks as well and all that jazz however who cares about the strength of the detachment? For memes, 
Um, again, worst crush stampede. There's nothing funny about this, um, <laughs> other than whoever wrote it is a clown. Um, yeah, after that, I guess Synaptic Nexus. There's not. It's not particularly meme. It's just straight power. Invasion Fleet's got some nice tricks, but it's not super meme. Um, I'd probably say an ending swarm coming in at number three for me for memes. It's just funny to push around a load of things, but it's not that funny when you do it three games in a day. Um, turns out your back's going to break and you'll be sad. Uh, <laughs> then number two, I guess the Vanguard, because it can do some funny things like, as said, put three non-emissaries into a uh, strat reserve. That's really fucking funny. Then you bring one of them back down turn one and go, haha, joke's on you. And uh, finally, the, the 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 most mean of all detachments is the Assimilation Swarm. And if you have the models to try it out, I would recommend it and report back. It's probably dog shit, but like, there's four units that have the keywords for it. Like, I just want to see someone do something with it. It's, there's got to be something you can do. Um, someone out there will give it a go. <laughs> yeah, and you can't even spam, like, Ripper Swarms. I think every Tyranid list wants to just take three by one Ripper Swarm bases. So you don't well, even spam those ones out. No, I think the um, I think that's a really good point about the Ripper Swarms because, as I understand, we're going to be losing the ability to be throwing multiple Spore Mines out over the course of the turn. And yes. anyone that's played into Tyranids will know that one of the main ways that we score our secondaries is using Spore Mines to either get in the way, stop anyone advancing near them. They're a really mm. good way of shutting down advanced moves, which Tau player found when I was uh, <laughs> someone dropped over the weekend for for the game three. So I played against a Tau player and for him to find that I dropped a spore mine near him so none of his crisis suits could advance was like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, which obviously was a concern. Um, and uh, But obviously only being able to do one of those a turn now, which I think is a, it's a sensible move because it was probably a bit... A bit um, a bit yeah. naughty, but you need to replace that with something. You need to replace that objective scoring and chucking three Ripper Swarms in for 45 points for all three of them is just the easiest way of doing it because there's three units you can just drop basically anywhere on the board. I think if someone's able to screen out a Ripper Swarm, they're easily able to screen out a uh, a Spore Mine as well. So I don't think they necessarily uh, reduce your uh, your ability to do objectives compared to the Spore Mines. So um, I think there'll be a lot of discussion amongst tier players as whether they keep one biovore or keep two biovores. I think I'm leaning towards having two just for redundancy if anyone's got a lot of indirect. But depending on what changes happen to indirect, you might only need one biovore, in which case it'll free up 65 points for me to do something else. I think we've seen the points, haven't we? For it's, I'm pretty sure they're going back There's down. There's points in the to... codex, apparently, but yeah. are they going to be the same? Those points in the codex are almost out of date immediately, aren't they? So... God, I hope they don't reprint all the points immediately. That would be sad. Yeah. <laughs> um... Yeah, that would be really sad. It'd be like when custody players bitched and moaned <laughs> because all their units got a little bit cheaper. Like, hey, my paper's out of print immediately, which is a legitimate concern. And I shouldn't, you know, belittle. But also, you know, fucking cry me a river when your units got cheaper yeah. and were already <laughs> too good. And it's just Games Workshop caved to people being really fucking bad at evaluating units before they see them in play. Um, we do have one last question. Existence UK, who is your pick to come out on top after the balance data slate or top three if you can't decide? Um, I will go last on this one because uh, I've been talking a lot. So, Chris, you haven't said anything for a while. Um, Chaos Space Marines. Mm. Um, Necrons and Tyranids. Good bet. Good uh, good bets there. I think. How about you? 
Yeah, I think I was going to replace uh, um, your cow space. Oh, he's gone again. He knows dark secrets, and uh, unfortunately, Games Workshop have found out that he knows dark secrets and have cut the power color. <laughs> um, so I guess my top three. Um, what do we think? It like I, I mean, I, it seems likely that Eldar are probably still going to be good. Um, remember how good Drakari were when they nerfed them for the first, second, and third time. Um, <laughs> what else? I I want to see Nids doing well because they've got a new book and they've got loads of new models. Uh, and then the third one, I guess we'll go with... Let's go something left field. I want to see Grey Knights do well. Um, obviously, I talked about last week, I think, that Jack Harpster did well with them at Worlds. Um, if they get cheaper and the killy things get less killy, I think that could be a really interesting di uh, direction to go in. So, you know, you're playing your three Terminator Brick unit or two Terminator Brick and one Paladin Brick, and then you've got just more stuff as well. Could be interesting to see. Uh, you you cut out there, Lewis. So uh, do you want to give us your top three again? Yeah, I was going to say Tyranids. I think they're just they're incapable of balancing new books, so they're going to be really, really good for a little while. All the, really bad. All really bad, yeah. They could be awful, which would be a shame. Um, the um, I thought the Necrons, again, I'm unsure whether they've realised how strong some of those Necron units are, especially once you take the devastating wounds away um, from things like Wraith Knights. They're just not going to pick those units up. I've tried bouncing everything into one of those units and just nothing happens. And then I think, probably left field pick, I think the Orcs might come out quite strong because, again, I think they have some really good mission play, really, really strong mission play. And that is the ability field. for some of the big stuff just to kill whole swathes of units with devastating wounds and things like that, I think if you take that away, I think suddenly there's a lot of play in there that I'm not sure anyone's realised about yet or enough people have realised about yet that it's not an oppressive thing. Yeah. Right. Games Workshop, don't you fucking dare do to the uh, Speed Freak Detachment what you did to Crusher Stampede. It needs to be good, it needs to be fast, and it needs to have guns. Uh, your, your payment is in the post. <laughs> All right. Well... It has been episode insert number here of that 6++ plus plus show. I hope you had a great time. If you haven't, write it in the chat. Tell me all about it. Give us that juicy, juicy engagement. And we will see you next week. <laughs>